mornings. I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, less than a month after signing a $1.9 trillion virus relief package, President Biden has proposed spending another $2 trillion on infrastructure improvements, using the broadest possible definition of the term. Representative Bob Latta shares his reaction. Also this morning, to your health, the American Heart Association has launched a campaign to reach those who have spent the last year avoiding their regular checkups, particularly those with underlying conditions which could be made more serious by COVID-19 and vice versa. And we have a special bonus collection of recipes for your Easter dinner leftovers from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, April 5th, 2021. Today is Bell Bottoms Day. Now, if you knew that or not, it's Bell Bottoms Day today. Those are coming back in style, Bell Bottoms. It is also First Contact Day. Supposedly, it, was, it, it is on this date in the future, 2063, that the first contact between humans and aliens will take place in Bozeman, Montana. <laughs> of course, it'll be in Bozeman, Montana. Where else would it be? This will lay the groundwork for the creation of the United Federation of Planets. Uh, This meeting uh, to come on the year 2063 on this date, documented in the film Star Trek First Contact, the movie released back in 1996. So, First Contact Day today. National Dandelion Day. I've seen the first dandelions popping up in my yard. (laughs) The first wildflowers of the season. National Dandelion Day. National Deep Dish Pizza Day. National Sweet Potato Day. National Raisin and Spice Bar Day. And it is National Fun Day today. Well, there you go. National Fun Day. Kind of interesting. Some of the most uh, buzzworthy stories, noteworthy stories to start off your morning. Many Americans uh, during the pandemic have been uh, keeping busy discovering new games um, and other hobbies. It's kind of interesting, this story here. And this was on CNN. Uh, They reported the top preoccupations, the top hobbies that people have taken up during the pandemic. Stamp collecting, music making, woodworking, and bird watching. The most popular hobbies that people have taken up during the pandemic oh and they've also been playing video games the most popular of which apparently is nintendo's animal crossing new horizons so if you started playing video games and you've taken that up you are not alone so those are the most it's kind of interesting they point out that during the great depression to keep people occupied when they had so much free time you know during the great great depression uh, many Americans learned the game of bridge. That was the the big thing back in the 1930s. And here in the 20 in 2020, it was stamp collecting, music making, woodworking, and bird watching, along with video games. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. You taking up any of those? The number of people having casual sex is on the decline, according to a study published in the journal Socius. The number of men reporting that they have had casual sex in the past month saw a precipitous drop over the past decade, 
from 38 to 24 percent. Now, obviously, during the pandemic, uh, there's a lot less of that going on because people were dating less and doing virtual dates. And I don't know. I don't want to know what you're doing virtually, you know, online between you and whoever it is who you're dating. But the actual number of casual sex, the actual amount of casual sex is down Uh, for women. So for men, it's from uh, 38 to 24 percent. Uh, say that they had casual sex in the past month. Among women, that number was uh, 22% down from 31% a decade ago. Researchers say that at least among women, the deciding factor is the reduction in alcohol consumption. In men, drinking less booze contributed to this, but so did the increase in playing video games. (laughs) That's what they say. And what's interesting is those numbers, and again, we talk about how the pandemic has impacted that, but these numbers uh, actually uh, from 2007 to 2017, so predating the pandemic. Kind of interesting. We've been uh, spending a whole lot more time cooped up with our kids during the pandemic and LinkedIn, the uh, social media site for working professionals, LinkedIn is now recognizing that being a parent is a full-time job. The career-based social networking site announced it will soon allow users to add jobs like stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad to their online resumes. Because this is a full-time job. That is one thing that we have discovered during the pandemic, to be sure. They are also, also adding options like parental leave, as a way to explain gaps in a person's work history, as well as the option for users to showcase skills learned while outside of the workforce. Not all skills are learned at work. And uh, I think that's a great idea. I think that's a great idea. Just list a stay-at-home parent as an occupation on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Spring is here. What a gorgeous day yesterday for uh, Easter. Hope you got out and enjoyed it. Beautiful, beautiful day. The birds are out. And they are not only, you know, chirping and putting us into a good mood. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said Thursday that a salmonella outbreak linked to 19 illnesses, including eight hospitalizations across eight states, has been linked to wild songbirds. So this is the new thing that we got to be worried about. You know, the pandemic is starting to wane a bit. You know, vaccinations and all of that, people are uh, slowly getting things back to normal after the pandemic. So we got to have something else to worry about, and this is it. (laughs) Salmonella among wild songbirds. The... uh, CDC's investigation, which says illnesses date back as far as December of 2020, said the bacteria from sick people's samples are closely related and are also very similar to samples collected from uh, sick or dead wild pine siskin birds. Health officials say it is likely contact with the wild songbirds and bird feeders that is leading to the illnesses. They also warned that the true number of illnesses is likely much higher than just the numbers that they've had reported because a lot of people can recover from salmonella without medical care and that germs can travel between species of birds to pets to people. 
They also note that uh, cleaning and disinfecting bird feeders and bird baths weekly or whenever they are visibly dirty can help keep you safe. So we got to have something to worry about. If it ain't the pandemic, got to be something. And lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, the story of Rebecca Roberts. She's a woman from the UK. This is a crazy story. Have you ever heard this? A woman by the name of Rebecca Roberts went to the doctor for her ultrasound. She was about 12 weeks into her pregnancy, so she goes to the doctor to get her ultrasound, and that's when she found out she was having twins. And that was a bit of a shock, because up till this point, they didn't have any idea that she was having twins. The ultimate shock, doctors were baffled as to why one of the fetuses on the ultrasound was so much bigger than the other. It was a size difference you would normally see uh, in a three-week age difference of the fetuses. So they appeared to be three weeks apart. It turns out that Ms. Roberts' pregnancy was a rare superfetation. I think is how you pronounce it in which a woman becomes pregnant for a second time, even though she's already pregnant. Is that crazy or what? Apparently, she was already pregnant, and usually they say it's extremely rare because pregnancy hormones usually nix further ovulation of women, but it didn't happen in this case. She got pregnant again. She was already pregnant. She got pregnant again. So do those qualify as twins? I don't know. So three weeks... Three weeks apart. Crazy, crazy story. Anyway, there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories, to be sure, to start off your Monday morning. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 First Alert forecast is calling for partly cloudy skies today and a chance of showers with high 72. Chance of showers again tonight with a low 53. This week is National Library Week. Sarah Clevidence, director of the Finley-Hancock County Public Library, says the pandemic has presented big challenges and their staff has really risen to the challenge. I think our, uh, our staff has done a tremendous job of adjusting library services, finding new ways to serve our community with virtual programs and programs that you can take and do at home, like our Crafty Kits for Kids or our craft to work program. Sarah says the library continues to be grateful to be able to be a part of so many people's lives, whether it's learning how to read, applying for a job, or just finding that next great book. Get more on how the library is celebrating National Library Week on our website. A COVID-19 mass vaccination site is coming to Faustoria. The drive through clinic will be located at 1600 North Union Street. The clinic is tentatively scheduled to open on Thursday. The site will be managed by the Seneca County General Health District. Support will be provided by the Ohio Department of Health and the Ohio Emergency Management Agency. Get more details on our website. A change in state law will allow many Ohioans for the first time to renew their driver's license and state ID cards online. The measure is contained in the state's transportation budget. Republican Governor Mike DeWine signed the budget into law on Wednesday. The new online registration will be available to people ages 21 to 65 whose current licenses were issued in person and who have photos on file with the state. Daniel Barnett. 
ONN News. The Hancock County Sheriff's Office is inviting people to check out their new and improved website. The Sheriff's Office says they've updated the look of the website and made it more user-friendly. The new website also features hot links that you can click to quickly access the most requested pages of the website, such as active inmates, concealed carry, and emergency alerts. The website also describes the various personnel in the Sheriff's Office and their responsibilities. We have a link to it on our website. And those who are interested in voting in the May primary election, today is the last day to register to vote. I'm John Marshall with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now to our cover story this morning. Less than a month after signing a $1.9 trillion virus relief package, President Biden has proposed spending another $2 trillion on infrastructure improvements. Now, using the broadest possible definition of the term, Representative Bob Latta is with us on the line this morning. And Congressman, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. First of all, we appreciate it. Chris, good morning. Want to get a couple of points Uh, just establish these and and get them out of the way uh, right up front. Uh, Number one, I think everyone agrees that there are a number of infrastructure projects, roads, bridges, uh, water systems, the the power grid. A lot of these things need attention. They need uh, uh, upgraded, updated, and repairs that this is long overdue. Number two, think everyone knows that doing so is going to cost a lot of money. These are not inexpensive projects. And number three, I, I know that the main Republican objection to the president's plan that he unveiled last week uh, is both the cost and the scope uh, of the plan. Uh, those are, are pretty much givens, right? Uh, I mean, that's there's there's nothing in those statements that are of any debate, right? Well, you know, you're right, because if you even go back, you mentioned that the president signed, you know, that uh, $1.9 trillion, and I'm going to bite my tongue when I say this, COVID package, only 9% of that was even talked about, was even for anything to do with COVID. They put these titles on, and now they've come out with this uh, $2.3 trillion, and only, and just about 5% of that is actually for roads and bridges and your traditional public works. So, you know, when you look at the numbers and what they want to spend the money on, this is really going back to this Green New Deal that they've all talked about. You know, everything from $100 billion to make school lunches greener. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, you know, another uh, $200 billion in subsidies for retrofitting homes and $175 billion for subsidies in electric cars. And that's just the name of few. But this is all going back to these trillions and trillions of dollars that they want to spend on the Green New Deal. So let's let's establish, I mean, we, uh, as we said, everyone agrees that there are some infrastructure projects that have been uh, long overdue for upgrades. Uh, again, traditional definitions of infrastructure, roads, bridges, water systems, the power right. grid needs to be upgraded. So I guess, you know, in, in laying all of that out, uh, as we did at the at the outset, Uh, I do that to ask this question. What among the president's proposals in this bill could you support? Well, you know what they ought to do is just come out with a true infrastructure piece of legislation. And don't include all this Green New Deal, these trillions of dollars 
on top of it to, to get a piece of legislation through. And I know that the Republicans on the Transportation Infrastructure Committee have said that, look, we, and we all know it, uh, what we have to do. You know, when I look at from, uh, you know, from Finley up to the Ohio-Michigan line, uh, years ago as a county commissioner, you know, we were told that we needed to get a third lane down there because we were over capacity on the road. Mm-hmm. So we know those things have to be done. And then especially, you know, our overpasses only have a certain amount of life. To right. They have to be replaced. And I was a county commissioner. And again, knowing what they, what those things cost and, you know, local government can't do those types of projects. But but Republicans have said, look, we'll work with the Democrats on getting a, a piece of legislation together to deal with infrastructure. But what they're doing is they're putting all of these other things in it. And then they put this, in, you know, uh, an infrastructure name on a bill or or COVID on a bill and make the American people think, oh, my gosh, we're going to spend all this money to fix up our roads and bridges and everything are going to be great. But you're looking at one of the massive uh, spending uh, bills out there. And then you're also going to have to have one of the largest tax increases in history to pay for it. When you talk about uh, tax increases uh, on Face the Nation on CBS uh, over the weekend, the chair of the Council of Economic Advisors, Cecilia Rouse, uh, cited a review by Moody's that said even with a corporate tax increase, uh, the president has pointed out that even the tax increase on the corporate side that he has proposed, uh, even with that tax increase, the the tax rate would be lower than it was prior to the uh, Trump tax bill uh, that was passed uh, a few years ago. And this review review from Moody's said that even with the uh, increase in rate that the president has proposed, jobs would still go up, unemployment would go down. And uh, again, the president is, is pushing the idea that uh, businesses uh, that would most stand to benefit from the infrastructure improvements should... Uh, pay their fair share, as they say. Well, a couple of things there. Number one, you know, the United States had one of the highest te- corporate tax rates, if not the highest corporate tax rate in the world before President Trump and Republicans got that down to really bring businesses back into the United States and get them going. And, you know, if we want to say that we're going to have a higher corporate tax rate than the communist Chinese, there's something wrong out there because that's what we're going to be doing by doing what the Democrats want to do. And one of the things that people always have to remember is this. You know, I've got 60,000 manufacturing jobs in my district, and I was talking with someone just recently in business, and they were going through what this bill would do to them, and they said it's going to raise our taxes by a million dollars, and what we're going to have to do is scale back on our investment, but also we're going to have to get rid of people. So, you know, one of the things that I saw across my district, as soon as we had this, uh, the tax uh, legislation in place under President Trump, was we saw people go out and start hiring. But what we're going to see is Americans are going to find out that uh, jobs are going to be lost. And I know that uh, they say from Moody's, well, you know, the, you know, the, 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 uh, you know at that 10,000-foot level, but out here at street level, they're already putting the pencils to paper and saying we're going to have to scale back. And people always have to remember that anything when you talk about corporate tax rate, okay, that's going to be passed on to who the consumer, and that's going to really hit hard and fast. 
You mentioned the uh, previous administration. Uh, President Trump had pledged uh, during his time in office to address uh, infrastructure needs. Uh, again, things that had been uh, long overdue, and that was that never materialized during uh, during his term. Isn't it uh, fair to say that there is blame on both sides for ignoring this for too long? If we don't do something to address it now, that it's only going to get even more expensive. Isn't that an argument uh, for? Uh, spending these uh, dollars uh, on these infrastructure projects? Well, and you know, if you look back uh, on anything, you know, you're always in a situation where, you know, the president had uh, the Democrats in uh, the second half of his administration controlling the House of Representatives. So it would be very difficult to get anything through. And so because pretty much, you know, again, this is what they want to put in. They want to put a lot of non-infrastructure in there. And years ago, when I was on the Transportation Infrastructure Committee, you know, we did some checking. And, uh, you, you know, take it every dollar that you pay in tax for uh, gasoline, that, uh, you know, 20, 29 to 30 some percent is being siphoned off, not going to roads and bridges. If we could just get that money back, we'd be in great shape uh, instead of just you know, having this money used for everything else that uh, it shouldn't be used for. And it's really important that. Uh, you know, when you look at the Eisenhower administration and paying for the interstate uh, system that we have, you know, is making sure that those dollars went to pay for uh, those improvements being done on those roads. So, you know, it, the, the big question comes a lot of times, of course, is, okay, how are you going to pay for it? But uh, right off the bat, that you know, what they're looking at is putting this into a, a package that's $2.3 trillion. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, that uh, when you're only looking at a very small, just, you know, uh, 5% of it actually going for roads and bridges, there's something wrong with an interstate when you want to call it an infrastructure package then. When when we're talking about, uh, you know, the definition of infrastructure, and as we mentioned in this bill, it is the broadest possible definition of the term which we've established but we spend a, a lot of time talking about those traditional infrastructure projects what about now i know this has been a pet issue of yours for uh, a long time what about the proposal to expand broadband internet access uh, to more americans particularly to rural america is that something that should be part of an inter uh, an infrastructure uh, should that in this day and age be cons uh, considered uh, a part of an infrastructure improvement plan? Well, and, you know, that's a great question because, you know, uh, I'm the ranker on the telecommunications subcommittee in energy and commerce. Mm -hmm. And what the Democrats have wrote out is, you know, talking about spending, you know, up to a hundred billion dollars. But it's, again, the, the problem where the Democrats always start is that they start with a figure and then they go, okay, how are we going to spend it? And as on our side of the aisle, we look at it, okay, we got to find what the problem is, how we're going to, what we have to do to pay for it and how we're going to get there. And it's just the reverse. We, we go from the bottom up, they go from the top down. And what we're really concerned about uh, with the Democrat plan is number one, uh, that I've been an advocate and I had legislation that's been signed into law to make sure that the Federal Communications Commission has accurate maps out there so they know exactly where to spend the money. They haven't, they have not completed those maps yet. And then at the same time, what we don't want to see is that the uh, Democrats go out and start giving money to uh, different companies that will then go uh, compete against uh, companies that are, have already been out there trying to deliver the infrastructure for broadband. And all of a sudden you've got 
you know, taxpayer money going to compete against those people that have been out there working right now to get it delivered. And we need to really make sure that we're getting into the unserved areas first and not the underserved areas. We will leave it there. Again, uh, it's a story that we will continue to watch because this will be an uphill battle uh, even uh, amid the uh, president's own party. It's been reported there is uh, quite a bit of uh, debate over whether uh, over the size and scope of this uh, particular package. Again, uh, Representative Bob Latta with us this morning. Congressman, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate Thank you. it. Have a wonderful day. Well, to your health this morning, as vaccinations become more widespread, we start to see things uh, open up and uh, the beginning signs of things getting back to normal. It is time to get back to the doctor. Uh, Joining us this morning is Dr. Donald Lloyd-Jones. He is president-elect of the American Heart Association. And uh, I know this is something, uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, we have uh, talked about through the course of the pandemic, concern among many in the medical uh, profession that uh, people have hit pause on the routine care that they need for now the better part of a year. And this is very concerning uh, to you on a, on a number of uh, fronts for a number of reasons. Well, that's exactly right, Chris. Thanks so much for having me on. And, you know, I think we've seen a dramatic decline in the number of visits to the doctor for just wellness checks, but especially for people who already have risk factors. And I'm talking about things like obesity, high blood pressure, and diabetes. And these are the things that put us at risk for heart disease and stroke. But remember, they also put us at risk for severe complications of COVID. In fact, obesity is the number one risk factor other than age that puts people at risk for those complications of COVID. So it's critically important that people get back to their doctor, check in on those risk factors, and get back on the plan to make sure they're being adequately controlled. Uh, that is a, an important message, uh, especially because we keep hearing that even though we kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel uh, with respect to the pandemic, we are not there yet. And so uh, obviously uh, we're not out of the danger zone with respect to COVID-19. Let me ask you kind of the the opposite, the flip side, the mirror image of that question. Has the pandemic impacted people's risk for cardiovascular disease? We talk about how underlying conditions increase someone's risk for COVID. Does it work the other way around? as well? Well, unfortunately, it does. You know, I I think we all know that how hard this year has been on our mental health and on our physical health. And certainly, you know, people have not had the opportunities to exercise safely that they normally would have. And so we've been more sedentary. Certainly, our eating habits in many cases have become more unhealthy. Um, And and we've seen reports, of course, that, that alcohol consumption is up, tobacco consumption is up. All these things really take a toll on our long term health but particularly they can increase our risk for heart disease and stroke. And don't forget, Chris, um, though we lost 525,000 Americans to COVID-19 in this first year of the pandemic, we lost almost 850,000 Americans to heart disease and stroke in the same time period. And that's up a little bit more than usual, but not a lot. Um, you know, th- this is still our number one killer. So we really need people to get back 
on focusing on controlling their cardiovascular and stroke risk factors. So what can people proactively do, those with existing, uh, either uh, in in high-risk categories or with existing uh, heart disease, uh, what can those individuals do to protect themselves uh, from COVID-19? Obviously, the the vaccine is going to be right at the top of the list now that that is uh, more widely available. But beyond that, what are some of the other things that those individuals can proactively do? Yeah, so what what an important question. And number one thing is exactly what you said. Everybody should get the vaccine as soon as they can, as soon as it's available and whichever one is available to them. So that's really important in protecting yourself against COVID. But a couple of other things I would say, you know, in addition to seeing declines in regular doctor visits, we've seen really uh, dramatic and concerning declines in emergency room visits for heart failure episodes, for stroke, and for heart attacks. And so unfortunately, I think people are delaying when they have concerning symptoms, not coming to the emergency room because they're concerned that they'll get exposed to COVID. But I really want people to hear this message. We are open, we are here to take care of you, and we have protocols in place to make sure you're safe as you transit through the doctor's office or through the emergency department to the hospital. If you're having symptoms of a stroke, like drooping face, blurred speech, weakness in one arm or one leg, call the ambulance immediately and get yourself in. Do not delay. And as the American Heart Association says, do not die of doubt. That is a critically important message because the longer you delay, the more heart cells or brain cells are dying. And it's very difficult for us to reverse those problems. You know, this is... On the other front... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish that thought. Sorry about that. You know, thinking about the sort of more chronic conditions... Um, it's really important to check back in and know your numbers. What are your cholesterol numbers doing? How's your blood pressure? Blood pressure is actually something we can measure very effectively at home. So if people can get those home blood pressure monitors and use them in conjunction with their doctor, um, you know, I think we now have really good telehealth options to connect with our patients as well. So we can do this safely, but it's just important we get back in touch with our patients. This is a, a battle, as you well know, uh, anyone in the medical profession knows, uh, this is a battle that you have long fought, making sure that people get those regular checkups and, and get the routine care uh, that they need, especially those who are at high risk. How much of this, I, I'm sure that there is a segment of the population, as you say, uh, that, that remains concerned about COVID, and that is keeping them uh, away from the doctor. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that there's also a certain segment of the population that are, for lack of a better term, just to be blunt about it, are using that as an excuse uh, to avoid the doctor as they've always done. How do you uh, reach out to those individuals? For sure. I, I think many of us feel like it's not so much fun to go to the doctor, and I get it. Um, but let me say what I say to my patients. You know, we miss you. <laughs> We're here for you. And we want to take care of you. Um, you know, that's why we became doctors and nurses and, and clinicians in the first place. Um, so we've really made sure that this can be a safe experience. And it's so important for you and for your family to make sure that we have you, you know, in tip top shape so that you can be both resistant to the virus, but also living your fullest and health, happiest life. Again, Dr. Donald Lloyd-Jones is the president-elect of the American Heart Association, uh, getting the message out there that it is time to get back to the doctor, get that preventive care, uh, plus, of course, uh, the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on uh, those who are at high risk and those with underlying conditions. You have, uh, this is uh, obviously now a, a 
as it has been through the pandemic, but especially now, a, a very concerted effort to get people back on track. You have much more about this on your website, correct? We do. Um, we'd love people to, to check out the American Heart Association website and all of the, the resources that are available there to think about um, how to live your fullest, healthiest life. Um, but if you go to heart.org slash pandemic, there's great information about both the vaccine and COVID and how it affects the heart, but also these other chronic conditions we've been talking about. So that was heart.org slash pandemic. That link will be up on our webpage as well. Dr. Donald Lloyd-Jones, he is president-elect of the American Heart Association. Thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Chris. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's updates on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. A 23-year-old man uh, suspected of stealing... A Kansas Highway Patrol vehicle and leading officers on a high-speed chase for more than 50 miles, all while handcuffed behind his back, according to officials. That's what makes this story rather unusual. All while handcuffed behind his back. Investigators are trying to determine how Joshua Swartwood of Naples, Florida, managed to get behind the wheel of the patrol car and drive it without the use of his hands. The Houdini-like escape unfolded just after noon on Saturday as a Kansas Highway Patrol trooper was transporting Mr. Swartout to a detention facility after he had been arrested on suspicion of auto theft following an earlier pursuit. <laughs> okay. Uh, while driving on Highway 25 near Atwood, northeast, northwest Kansas, the trooper witnessed a motorcycle crash and stopped to help leaving Mr. Swartwout alone in the patrol car. And that's when he somehow managed to get behind the wheel and drive off all while handcuffed behind his back. Uh, other troopers raced to the scene to give chase after spotting the stolen patrol car headed south on Highway 25. The suspect got onto Interstate 70 and headed west toward the Kansas-Colorado border, but ran out of gas roughly 50 miles from where the chase started. The suspect, who was still handcuffed behind his back when he was taken back into custody, uh, fled on foot but was quickly, quickly apprehended, according to a statement from the Kansas Highway Patrol. He was examined by emergency medical services, uh, determined he was not injured. He was taken to the Sherman County Jail and booked without further incident. How crazy is that? And it's all because... The officer tried to be a good Samaritan, saw another accident, tried to stop to help, and guess he shouldn't have done that. That's crazy. Elsewhere in today's broken news, speaking of uh, police officers in Atlanta, well, suburbs of Atlanta, the Dunwoody police uh, were called in to rope a cow on the freeway. <laughs> Just another day's work down south. Uh, after responding to a report of a cow running loose on I-285 Saturday morning, apparently the incident began when a cow fell out of a trailer hauling livestock. Officers managed to capture the animal with a rope provided by a civilian and return it to its owner. They roped the cow right there on the interstate. <laughs> Traffic held up for about an hour during the, uh, during the process. <laughs> Roping cows, that's like uh, every... Um, uh, uh, stereotype 
of uh, people down south <laughs> roping the cow right there on the interstate. Kind of a crazy story from the international file, the uh, broken news. A 22-year-old mom in England freaking out after she, uh, after her uh, Apple AirPods, the little uh, uh, earbuds, they went missing. And so she used her tracker app to figure out where they were. And the app told her that her missing Apple AirPod was inside her, her two-year-old daughter's stomach. She thought, oh my goodness, my daughter swallowed the AirPod. They are small. They could, uh, so they uh, rushed her to the hospital after calling the doctor. Um, doctor said, hey, this is you know, serious stuff. If it, if it ruptures, their, you know, the battery chemicals and everything inside uh, these AirPods, if that ruptures, it could be uh, life-threatening. So they rushed the girl to the hospital. Once they got there, the nurse who was checking over the child found the AirPod inside of a pocket of her pajamas. <laughs> the AirPod in her pajama pocket. It wasn't in her, in her stomach. She hadn't ingested the uh, AirPod at all. The nurse had a good laugh. And Chloe Saunders, the 22-year-old mom, shared the whole ordeal on social media. Um, that All's well that ends well, but that's <laughs> a bit embarrassing. Oh, goodness. That could have ended a lot worse, so good news there. And finally, in the broken news this morning, this also from the International File, a crazy story, an artwork by an American artist being showcased, uh, showcased in South Korea at a, uh, an art gallery there was damaged by a couple in their 20s who thought the sets of paint and paintbrushes laid out in front of the artwork was for spectators' use. <laughs> Staff at the gallery exhibition noted new brush strokes on the wall, uh, small swipes of dark green to the right of center, uh, last Saturday, after checking the security camera, two suspects were taken by the police for investigation. The agency that organized the exhibition uh, tells reporters that it is currently negotiating with the artist to take appropriate steps. According to the CEO of Contents Creator of Culture, the co-organizer of the exhibition, the uh, artwork uh, was not framed because of its large size. It's big, huge, um, 22 22 foot by eight foot canvas, I guess, or, or work of art was mounted on the wall. It was not framed, obviously. And uh, the only piece in the exhibition without frames, the paint and brushes used by the artist to complete the work were put on display as, you know, as part of the display. And uh, these geniuses uh, thought that it was there so that they could <laughs> take their take their turn and create some artwork of their own. The damaged artwork is worth about $440,000, according to the... Well, it was worth about $440,000. Since the accidental painting, the agency in charge of the exhibition has provided additional guidelines for spectators and increased the surveillance around the work to prevent such misunderstandings from taking place once again. I would hope so. There you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. This update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. 
Hear from the candidates before you cast your vote in the primary election on May 4th. WFIN is presenting a candidates forum featuring the five people vying for three Findlay City Council at-large seats. Listen to what the candidates have to say in this forum presented in cooperation with the University of Findlay and live from Weinbrenner. The candidate forum is Wednesday night at 6 on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. You know, not all of us are internet addicts. A lot of us are, and sometimes I have to admit that I'm kind of like this, you know, always online and always got to be checking social media and checking what's going on in the world and all of that. But a new study says 7% of Americans, 7% are completely unconnected. Who are these strange people (laughs) that are not online? Uh, Well, there are a number of demographic variables, they say, but it is strongly connected to age. Older Americans continue to be one of the least likely groups to use the Internet. 25% of adults age 65 and older report never going online. One in four never go online. That is uh, compared with much smaller shares of adults under the age of 65, obviously. Educational attainment and household income also are indicators of a person's likelihood to be offline. Some 14% of adults with a high school education or less do not use the Internet. That share falls as the level of educational attainment increases. So the age thing is really not a surprise, but the income level is kind of interesting. Adults living in households earning less than $30,000 a year are far more likely than those whose annual household income is $75,000 or more to report not using the internet. Far more likely, 14% versus just 1%. So a huge gap there. There are no statistically significant differences They say in non-internet use by gender, race, ethnicity, or community type. So if you were thinking that maybe some of those factors play into it, no. They say for the most part, uh, there are no statistically significant differences uh, among gender, race, ethnicity, community type. But very interesting stuff. And again, when we talk about people being completely offline, and this is the... When they talk about community type, they're talking about the difference between rural and urban communities. And obviously, we know broadband uh, internet access is tough to come by in rural, in some of the most rural communities. The reason why this statistically, that statistically that's insignificant is because they're including all kinds of internet connectivity, including like on our smartphones, people checking uh, our mobile apps and news on our phones and, and things like that uh, is included in that. So interesting stuff. Today's daily download this morning. Whenever we hear that music, we know it must be time for more recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. My wife Kyra is here in the studio with us once again. We have a, a special bonus collection of recipes today because normally people hear that and they think, it's not Friday. Uh, because it's Friday, yay! Usually, <laughs> because usually it's on Fridays we do uh, the, the recipes. And this pr- past Friday we had some, uh, some great recipes for an easy Easter dinner. Yep. And maybe you have some leftovers from your Easter dinner. And so this morning, want to give you the opportunity to... 
um, get to use those uh, leftovers. those leftovers. Yeah. And uh, so we're gonna first start with the uh, start with a ham. Yep. Because you probably, if you did the oh. traditional Easter ham as we did, yeah. you probably have some ham left over as we do. Yeah, and not as much this year. <laughs> not as much this year, um, but we do still have some <laughs> because it was a yummy ham. So yes, it was of, pretty good. So uh, you can have your typical ham sandwiches and all of that, yeah. sure. But mm-hmm. if you want to do something a little more involved a little yeah. fancier yeah you have a cheesy ham and noodle casserole yes. which is perfect for the leftover, leftover ham ham yeah. so take uh take your leftover ham dice um dice it up uh to make about two cups okay um then 16 ounces of elbow macaroni uh one 10 uh 10 point uh, 7.5 ounce can of your cheddar cheese soup mm-hmm. um a half a cup of sour cream, a third cup of milk, one and a half cup of shredded cheddar cheese, a half a cup of shredded mozzarella cheese, uh, a half a teaspoon of garlic powder, half a teaspoon of onion powder, a half a teaspoon of pepper, and a half a teaspoon of salt. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees, spray a 9 by 13 inch uh, baking dish with nonstick cooking spray, set that aside. Then prepare your elbow macaroni according to the package directions, uh, then drain and set aside. Uh, meanwhile, combine your cheese, it, your cheeses, and um, your reserve, uh, about a half a cup of the cheese for later to put on top. Okay. Um, whisk your soup, your sour cream, your milk, your seasoning all together in a large bowl. Add your ham and uh, a half a cup of your cheese and pasta. Uh, all your pasta stir until it's well combined then pour that into your prepared dish cover with some foil bake for about 30 minutes and then remove top with your remaining cheese and uh, return to the oven for five to ten minutes or until the cheese is melted and golden brown so here's the question (laughs) that i have uh on this and it sounds yummy yeah but i'm wondering uh, aside from the ham part, yeah. isn't that pretty much the same recipe for like a homemade macaroni and cheese? Yeah. yeah. So if you have, yeah. if you had mac and cheese, because we had mac, mac and cheese. cheese. Yeah. So if you have leftover mac and cheese and the leftover ham, mm-hmm. you could just do that yep. and, and combine that, reheat it, put some extra cheese on top. Right. And there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So Maybe. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, and the hard thing with uh, mac and cheese is that um, once you have it left over, it's kind of really clumpy well and it's kind of stuck together um so but if you uh but if you add maybe some of the soup or something like that to it to to us um separate a little bit so you could mix in your ham okay yeah most definitely so that would be an alternative might be a little bit even easier there you go honey so Supper tonight. Go downstairs. <laughs> I know what we're having for dinner tonight. Uh, also, you may have some uh, green beans yes. left over uh, from uh, Easter dinner, and you've got a great way of uh, using those up by frying up yes. your green beans. Yes. So, yes. again, these are already cooked yep. green beans mm-hmm. that Just, you can yep. fry up. How yep. do we do that? If you've got them in, if you have them in the uh, the broth, then drain the broth off um, in a uh, skillet. I use my iron skillet. Uh, melt your butter. 
add some bacon grease, then add your onion to that. Cook until caramelized, then add your green beans, your leftover green beans. Fry until warm through about 15 minutes or so, and serve. Mm, really easy. Man, yeah. that, that does sound yeah. good. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So a good way of uh, so you take care of all of the uh, extra ham and maybe the uh, mac and cheese, the fried yep. gr- uh, the uh, green, green beans. beans. And yep. then you have for dessert here our uh, dessert recipe, an angel food cake dessert trifle yeah. with mixed fruit. And yeah. again, this may be stuff that you've got left over from yep. uh, Easter yep. dinner as if well. you had angel food cake and mm-hmm. you've got it left over and you want to get used up. So same with your uh, fruit. Right, so, exactly. So uh, three cups of angel food cake cut into bite-sized uh, pieces, a quarter cup of powdered sugar, two ounces of cream cheese softened, eight ounces of uh, cool Whip, uh, thawed and divided, and three cups of mixed fresh fruit, strawberries, blueberries, whatever yeah, you had. All that stuff yep. that you had for your Easter, bre- yep. Easter breakfast. Yes. Yeah. So in a medium bowl, mix your powdered sugar and your cream cheese. Beat until um, well blended. Reserve t- two tablespoons of Cool Whip and fold the remaining Cool Whip into your cream cheese mixture. In a dish, uh, make two or three layers of your your cake cubes, your cream mixture, and your fruit. So just layer each layer. Mm-hmm. Uh, then reserve uh, garnish with your reserve Cool Whip and refrigerate for at least three hours before serving. Mm. Yeah, that it's uh, really easy. Yeah, really easy. A nice cool dessert. Yep. We've got some warm days coming up here in yes. the next couple of days. This would be a, a nice Perfect. cool dessert yes. uh, for one of those uh, warm days. So there you go. And you might have noticed uh, in our uh, recipes, you don't have anything uh, with the uh, Easter eggs. No. Um, no. But you know, if you want, here's the thing. And uh, I, I mentioned this. <laughs> Because it's my uh, when I was little, my mom did oh, this, yes. uh, yeah. it, especially after Easter, because we had all of these hard boiled eggs yeah. that uh, you can only have so many hard boiled eggs, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't want to throw those out. She used to make what what she called eggs goldenrod, yeah. and it is really easy. Uh, so this yeah. is my my mom's uh, recipe from my mom's kitchen. Yeah, uh, you just do uh, white sauce. Yep, you know, just so your, your regular flour and your milk. Flour, milk, butter. Uh, you know, create mm-hmm. the, the the white sauce yep. like a, a standard white sauce. Yep, you dice up the egg whites. You put that into that mix. Mm-hmm. You serve it over toast. Yep. And then you take the yolk of the egg, crumble that up, and sprinkle that over the top. And it's what my mom used to call eggs goldenrod. And we would have that, especially right after Easter, to (laughs) to get rid of all of the... to get boiled rid of all eggs. the uh, hard-boiled <laughs> eggs, eggs that we yep. Yep. <laughs> that we would have. So if you've got some of those uh, hard-boiled eggs left over, you can try that. A really easy uh, dinner uh, idea there. So some uh, recipes there, a special bonus collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen for all of your Easter dinner leftovers. So we know what we're having tonight. <laughs> ham. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're going to have the, uh, the cheesy ham and noodle casserole. Yes. There you go. Uh, we've got those uh, recipes, of course, posted on our Facebook page. Uh, so go to the uh, WFIN Facebook page. We'll also link them up at goodmornings.net. You can find them there. My wife, Kyra, thanks very much for dropping by again. We appreciate it. You're welcome. And that will wrap up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. Of course, that is goodmornings.net. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.